0: It was a fascinating moment because you had people who did not use computers and were not brought up with them and were not necessarily comfortable with them. To the extent where someone that I interacted with would print out or have his assistant print out emails, would handwrite the messages on the email, and then the assistant would deliver them in the inter-office <laughs> mail, <laughs> mail,
1: mail,
0: mail, mail. Welcome to Lead With
2: Your Brand.
1: Hey everybody, Jason Patria here and you are listening to the lead with your brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. I am super excited for today's show because I have a fabulous guest named Josh Cole, who is the chief marketing and digital officer of title boxing club and box union. But before we get to Josh, I want to talk a little bit about your network because we talk all of the time about your brand, but here's the deal. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears or sees it, did it really fall? Well, it probably doesn't matter because no one's talking about it if they were not there. And the same thing is true about your brand. Now, as you are in your city and we're starting to reopen with hybrid and in-person, in-real-life events, I want you to think about your exposure and your network even more now. You have got to be strategic and you've got to be thoughtful. Now, one of the biggest challenges to having a great network is that we don't have a diverse network. And what we want is a diverse network where you can outsource different skills, knowledge, abilities, and mindsets and keep you away from falling into that echo chamber. But you know what? It is so easy to be focused on people that are most like us or who are closest to us. We call it that self-similarity principle or the proximity principle. And so now as you started, start going back into the office over the next couple of months, guess what? You're going to be sitting with people that do the exact same job as you. So I want you to resist that urge to go to lunch and just look over to the person sitting in the cube next to you and say like, hey, let's go grab food or grab coffee with the same people that you see all of the time. You've got to bust through that. Now, here's your homework. I want you to create a treasure map. That's right. Grab a piece of paper and I want you to map out all of the different unique social circles and networks that you are a part of. So I will tell you this. When I was first working on this podcast a year ago with my production team, I thought I was going to have this great season one of guests going through my Rolodex, all of these different types of people. And I put everyone's name on a set of post-its and put it on the wall only to look at it for a second time and realize, wow, I have the most amazing list of LGBTQ plus multi Racial people in Los Angeles. And I suddenly thought, wow, here I think I have this huge diverse list of folks. But they're actually folks that are super self-similar to me and my experience and they're really close from a physical proximity. So I had to bust through that. So I built this network treasure map and I put all of the clusters. Well, you know, I worked at NBC Universal for 25 years. So I have a pool there. You know what? I grew up in Pasadena. I went to a college prep school where I went to school from being five years old to 18 years old. I realized, wow, that's a cluster. My mom was an educator. I'm in the adult education space. I've got a whole network through her. I'm on the board of directors of the Los Angeles LGBT Center. I am on the National Diversity Advisory Council for the Red Cross. These are all different networks that allow me to connect into different expertise and diverse viewpoints. So I had to redo my guest list for my Lead With Your Brand podcast and say, hey, I need to go into all of these pools, not just the folks that seem like they're right front and center in my life. And I want you to do the same thing. As you start reconnecting with people, don't just knee jerk to the same people that you've been seeing either digitally or in small groups. I want you to be thoughtful and think about who you need to reach out to. How can you get back into all of the different circles that you are involved with and connect you to broader networks so that you can lead with your brand and amplify your value through your network? Well, I am super excited about today's guest. It is Josh Cole, who is the chief marketing and digital officer of Title Boxing Club and Box Union. Now, Josh is entering this new role at an exciting time as Box Union Holdings recently acquired a hundred and sixty-three unit franchiser Title Boxing Club and its digital platform, Title Boxing Club on Demand. Now, Josh cemented key partnerships and built digital marketing platforms that skyrocketed brand recognition where I met him back at Universal Studios Parks and Resorts and international trampoline park franchise Sky Zone. As a member of the first digital team for one of Universal Studios' largest divisions, Josh built an e-commerce channel and initiated Universal Studios Hollywood's first social media presence, building followers from zero to three million plus as well as creating partnerships with prestigious brands such as Travelocity and Expedia that yielded seven-figure annual sales. Over at SkyZone, Josh and his team increased the franchise business's brand recognition through partnerships and events with the Disney Channel and Carnival Cruise Lines, as well as brand integrations in big-screen movies and television programs, extensive publicity and social media marketing. During his 6 year tenure at SkyZone, the franchise grew from 81 to 210 global locations. I'll be back in just a few moments with Josh Cole.
2: For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And
1: we're back. I am here with the amazing Josh Cole, who is the Chief Marketing and Digital Officer for Title Boxing Club and Box Union. Josh, what's going on?
0: Hey, Jason. Great to uh, talk to you again. It's been a while. You were... Uh, it's been a while. Cork was a long time ago.
1: Exactly. But at least we, we get to, to see each other on LinkedIn and all of these things that happened during the pandemic, right?
0: We do. And it's a pleasure seeing how you're uh, progressing your career and all the stuff you're doing. It's very impressive. So Congratulations. Oh, thank
1: you. And congrats to you too, Josh. I know this spring you took on a new and exciting role. So tell me, when you first meet people, how do you explain who you are and what you are doing nowadays?
0: I did. So two months ago, I changed jobs. I had been at my previous company for uh, six and a half years. I was used to that explanation. And so now I'm just, uh, you know, getting warmed up with my new explanation, but I'm the chief. <laughs> so uh, it might not be as smooth as it would have been if you asked me three months ago with the old job. But in any event, I'm the chief marketing and chief digital officer for the largest combined fitness boxing brand. And I always pause to remind people it's not boxing in a ring, hitting and getting hit. Because usually that's the first question I get, like, oh, okay, if I try that? <laughs> is something going to hit me? No, it's, it's the group classes with hanging uh, heavy bags. So it's an instructor-led class boxing-inspired, everyone has their own bag. There are private training sessions as well, but those private training sessions tend to be you getting instruction from a a coach, Uh, but again, not hitting or getting hit by a person. So it's all about fitness, and it's all about mental wellness. So my job is to introduce as many people as possible to Title Boxing Club, which has about 160, so it's the largest brand in the fitness boxing space, and Box Union, which is a boutique brand uh, based out here in L.A., where I am. And uh, some, uh, yeah, so, yes, I bring people uh, in, hopefully, to come and join a class, and they see what a great workout it is, and they want to uh, become members, hopefully. So uh, one thing I, I do mention always is that we talk about the fitness, and people think about the fitness, but we're also, we consider ourselves to be, and we're sure we are, a mental wellness c- uh, company as well, because something yeah. really special about boxing, when you're hitting the bags, it releases endorphins, and you're in the in the flow state when you're thinking about those combinations, which can get pretty complex, which means you can't think about homework, or stress, or your boss, or relationship you just in the moment so it's very stress relieving so I always encourage people to come uh, check out just what a great workout is for the body and the mind so I don't know if that answered your question but that's, that's what I'm doing now I'm uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> now Josh I wanted to talk to you because you have this amazing career in the digital and brand marketing space in fact you know we were reminiscing because we met each other 20 years ago at the uh, the opening of, of Universal Studios Japan back in Osaka and you look the
0: same I don't know how you've done it <laughs> Like, I I look at least uh, 21 years older. (laughs) <laughs> it's all smoke and mirrors, Josh. Nice. I don't know how you do it. But after the, after this uh, conversation, please share your tips with me because I'm impressed.
1: <laughs> it's all water. Yeah. Just drink water.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> but Josh, I, I wanted to know from you, when you think back over your long career in, in marketing, what have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments for you where you really leveled up or found yourself at a, a, a new stage of your career?
0: Hmm, that's a great question. Um, when I, well, one big one was when I left the financial services industry in New York, and joined Universal Studios, which is where we met. So Jason, uh, for your listeners, I guess I'll add that the job and when we were co-workers, which you just referenced to that time period, we were both at Universal Studios together. And I'd been working in the financial services industry and I wanted to do something uh, different and frankly, a little more creative and something that would provide a little more license, creative license. And I found a, an incredible job in the, the theme park world. I thought, well, that's a job that probably is going to have a lot of a creative license. And then I moved from New York to L.A. You know, on a personal level, that was a big change, too. I grew up in the Northeast. I would never been to California before. And I came out here with uh, two suitcases and a bike and a, packed up in a, in a box. And I thought, then I don't like it, I'll go back to New York. And then, uh, you know, 20, 22 years later, here I am with a house and two kids and a wife and, you know, never looked back. So um, <laughs> that, that was a big change for me. That change put me in a different uh, career path. And it also put me on a digital path because I had been working – uh, in a marketing role in the financial services industry in the late 90s, to uh, totally date myself here. And uh, I was writing the newsletter. And at the time, the people who owned the firm uh, said, hey, since you're writing a newsletter, do you want to update the website? And I said, sure. And it was a very simple website, like brochureware as they called it then. And uh, I got a tutorial <laughs> from the guy who made the website. And I learned how to update the newsletter and update some photos. So I became uh, not only the marketing associate, but also the webmaster, which is a very funny term. It belongs in a museum. Uh, people used to use that term. And uh, it's kind of funny and embarrassing to say, but I was the marketing associate and webmaster. But that was my uh, entryway into that first job at Universal, which was to join the first ever dedicated digital marketing team, then called uh, internet marketing, for the theme parks around the world. And I was asked to work on Japan and Spain because Universal used to have a a park in Spain and a little uh, foothold in China. So I liaised with the uh, overseas departments and built the first websites and built the first E-commerce sites, and uh, we got involved in mobile very early because Japan was so far out and ahead in the mobile space. So I was doing stuff over there that I, would, I wouldn't, nobody would have had the chance to do over here in the U.S. simply because the technology uh, didn't exist yet or wasn't widely adopted. So uh, that was a really big change for me. It set me on my trajectory, the, the trajectory of my career, because from there I grew and expanded, but I was always in the, in the, the digital realm. And um, uh, yes, yeah, so that was a really big point for me. Yeah. And
1: so, Josh, tell me what what was going through your mind or how is it that that you just pack up your bags and like completely leave the safety of financial services? Right. Because that's kind of like even though it's not creative, it's like you get a good paycheck, like, you know, the rules. Right. And then what made you just pick up everything and like fly 3000 miles across the country? What went into that decision?
0: And and you're right. I mean, I was someone who was brought up to be, you know, uh, you know, if you get a, if you have a good paycheck and you're on a career path that looks like it can be lucrative, you know, just you know, hold on to that job at all costs and keep your nose down and work hard. And that was the upbringing that I came from. So I probably scared my uh, my dad when I said, "Hey, I'm leaving financial <laughs> services and uh, that lucrative <laughs> payoff someday, and I'm going into uh, the theme park world." And I'll uh, see you. I'll be in California. So uh, it was it was definitely a big change. And um, I, I just I I'm stammering a bit because so I'm trying to put myself back in that moment and think about it, but I just knew I wanted to do something different. And I knew that the, what I was doing at that point in time was not what I wanted to keep doing. And I, and I gotta admit, I look back sometimes and think about, wow, if I'd stayed in that path, I'd be making like, you know, five times what I'm making today. But I don't think I necessarily would have been happy doing it. So I went to do something more interesting. And as a marketer, I really wanted to market something that I would be passionate about. And selling fun, which is what a theme park is, is something I can be passionate about because I was thinking, okay, if someone buys the, the ticket and goes, they're buying essentially a day of fun. And lots of times it's a multi-generational even with grandparents and parents and kids and they're off the couch and off of devices and, and enjoying themselves. So I really embraced that side of that job. Um, and that's what motivated me to go. Um, that and the, I said it before, but I'll say it again, like the, the idea to do something really creative. I had a sense that I came to LA, just, I had this notion about Los Angeles, having grown up in the Boston area of it being in some place just like more uh, easygoing you could be yourself and you could just you know do more interesting things and um uh, and i, and I want to experience that for myself and i came out here and i and i always thought if i didn't like it i said before but uh, you know i really meant it i can always go back i i was very unencumbered i had a couple suitcases and i leased a car and i rented an apartment and i said no i'll just leave if i don't like it but i loved it <laughs> never left. <laughs> 20 years 20 later. Years later. Ex-
1: exactly. And what were, what were some of the most exciting and challenging parts of being in part of one of these first digital marketing groups at the turn of the century?
0: Oh my God. I could go on for, for hours about this, but it was a fascinating moment because you had at that time in that company, people who did not use computers and were not brought up with them and were not necessarily comfortable with them to the extent where some of that I interacted with would print out or have his assistant print out emails, would handwrite the messages on the email, and then the assistant would deliver them. And here, you know, you done to get an inter-office mail, <laughs> but you don't know, get the inter-office mail. And it would be an email printed out and his response. And I'm like, okay, do I respond by paper or do I email? Do so I email him back. And then I get an inter-office with the, 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 you know, the next one. It was the, the honest way to have a, a stream of communication, but you're dealing with people who, were begrudgingly dealing or having to put money into something they didn't understand and didn't necessarily want to do. And you also had a lot of entrenched interests where, for example, selling tickets. It sounds so silly to say this today and so simplistic, but just getting Universal Studios to sell tickets online was a battle because you had so many (laughs) entrenched... Technologically, for sure. But but this is an interesting thing. Something called channel conflict. You had so many entrenched interests with travel agents. So for years, Mm -hmm. for decades... You had a sales department who was incentivized through uh, bonuses, sales incentive plans, based on how many tickets they sold through their sales channels, which could be travel agents. It could be Costco. They were These were offline sales channels. And so when I came along and said, okay, hey, I'm a, the guy who's on this new internet team, and we're going to launch an e-commerce store, and we're going to go right to the people, everyone who had that entrenched interest said, like, you know, like, hell you are. No, you're not. Why would you do that? You're going to... You're going to piss off the travel agents. They make up 90% of our business. And you're going to – the retailers have to have the best price. Otherwise, they're not going to put us in their stores. And, and it was a crazy, crazy thing to just get an approval. And I'll give you an example. At Universal Studios Japan, all the entrenched interests there said, no, you cannot do e-commerce. And some of the people who worked at Universal wow. Studios Japan came from travel agencies. Like the travel agents embedded folks into the sales department because they knew travel. Yeah. He said no way because their their loyalty was to the the, uh, the company. So I had to go all the way up to the president of international and make my case and they said, Okay, you can sell four hundred tickets a day. And that was it. So we had to cap <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 you know, we had to cap our sales at four hundred a day. And we were selling it every day. I'm like, we sold out again. No, we sold out again. <laughs> So that again, and so then we get to 500 and 600, but that was the process. Uh, That was an example of the process that it took to get approval for things that, you know, when we first started doing printed home tickets, I have so many memories, Jason, it's, uh, you know, gone for days, but here's another one. Printed home tickets. I moved out of the international realm, moved to domestic. This is for Universal Studios Hollywood here in Los Angeles, and I was responsible for everything on the website. It's crazy to think about this, but advertising, they got to the website, the copy, where you got to the store, the credit cards in the process. People were calling me, sending me emails of credit card processing. Someone wrote an email. I had to answer the email. It was crazy. It was essentially me and a coordinator at that time. And I had this idea, we'll launch print at home tickets. We can actually print your ticket through a printer. Now, uh, again, I say this and I feel like a dinosaur even saying this, but it is funny <laughs> from the historical <laughs> standpoint. And I had this great idea. Like, we'll just – we'll have to mail them. We'll save money. they don't get lost in the mail. And this very senior executive there held up a piece of paper and he said, why would anybody want this? And he waved a piece of white paper. When they could have this? And he held up this beautiful – um, laminated, we called it shark skin type of ticket. It was very thick and it had pictures of yeah. like, you know, Hollywood properties of Universal. It was like, why would anyone want this? And I had to explain, well, if, if they don't, they'll buy that. So don't worry about it. Well, what if, if someone like intercepts their email? And, uh, you know, so again, getting that approved was a battle. So it's just funny to think about all the things today that are just absolute and utter... Just, I was saying no-brainer, but no, they're just taken for granted. But someone yeah. uh, at some point in time had to go fight for them. So it makes me think like everything that we deal with that we don't even think twice about, someone that was different than before, someone had to go make the case for and uh, and fight for. So I did some of that uh, at Universal in the e-commerce and uh, the digital marketing world. <laughs> and then,
1: of course, social media came along and you grew that f- to something c- crazy and wild,
0: right? Yeah, I you know. Um, Claim to fame, if I can call it that, at least in my own mind. All of the original social platforms, I registered the uh, account for Universal Studios Hollywood. For, so Facebook, for example, I remember to this day registering it, liking it, and then my coordinator and our intern, the next two people. So I still remember the first three people who liked <laughs> yeah. the page. Now it has like three, four million people, and like you know, twenty, you know, fifteen years later, no one remembers my name, but I still remember the day. And I had to art, you know, go basically argue with our lawyer why it would be okay to have a Facebook page, and I had to agree to what we would do under what circumstances. I would agree to take it down. So basically, I had to go in there and say, okay, if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, this goes wrong, this goes wrong, we'll take it down. If someone posts this to this, this, is how we're going to react. I had to have a whole plan for how we're going to manage the content. So yeah, we took that and, uh, and grew it. And, and, and digital advertising is another one because again, no brainer, like doing paid search, like, you know, it's the backbone of a marketing or advertising yeah. program today is paid search. Everyone does paid search. Well, you'd be crazy not to, but like getting money to do paid search was also hard because all the money was going to TV and radio. And again, an entrenched interest. And if I took money out of that, it was removing money from what was done for many, many years and moving over there. So it had to fight a battle for that but that was actually a fairly easy one because we did it and i was able to say look we put this money in and look at what we got with the clicks and these people bought and made money and they're like okay we'll put more money in so that one actually was one of the easier <laughs> easier arguments to win
1: exactly because we could never really prove how many people bought off of a billboard or a radio spot yeah,
0: right yeah exactly so the, the, i remember the president of universal studios Hollywood said, this is great i can actually measure it so uh yeah so that worked that was a little bit of an easier thing to convince people they should do
1: And Josh, what's another great career breakthrough that you've had looking back?
0: You know, when I, when I left Universal, I was very much in the digital space. So I was tangential in owning the website. I was tangential to everything. So there was a press release for now. I'd have to coordinate with the, the PR team to what would we, we put on the website and you know, what, would the, what would the traffic look like and uh, what would they see. And uh, when a promotion was done offline, we need the online landing page. If a, a partnership was done with Chase or MasterCard, we'd have a, a, you know, a little microsite. But someone else owned it. When I left Universal and I went to SkyZone, which is the, world's, the first and the world's largest uh, chain of indoor trampoline parks. Again, selling fun. Um, the main reason I went was that I had a chance to become the CMO. And all those things that I was tangentially involved in, I now was responsible for the brand. And suddenly, the guy who I was always the guy who was taking money out of brand marketing and putting it into digital. Suddenly, so <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, maybe brand marketing isn't so bad after all. We should put a little more money into brand marketing. So, you know, it changes your perspective when you're responsible. everything. But uh, it was a really good opportunity for me to really spread my wings and have to fly. And uh, it's a small company. And I started, it was uh, just three other people and I in the marketing department grew to be closer to, uh, I think around 14 when I left roughly. But there really weren't a lot of people to ask, you know, questions to, to rely on or more senior people like they always were at Universal. And suddenly like people were looking to me to make decisions and decisions about things that previously I could go to my peer who was the the VP of publicity, and now I was running publicity, or the VP of creative, and now I was ultimately responsible for creative decisions. So that was really scary <laughs> in some ways. Like, wait, is they really giving me this responsibility? They surely want to do that? Uh, but they did, and uh, it lasted six and a half years, so I, I, I adapted. But it was definitely one of those moments where you have to kind of grow up and you know, take on a lot more and be humble about it and acknowledge what you don't know and uh, quickly figure that out. Uh, and uh, have a lot of people you can call to ask questions to. That's 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 the key part. Know when to ask a question. Know who to ask it to.
1: Know when and who to ask. So, Josh, how would you describe your brand as an executive, as a chief marketing officer?
0: A couple of things come to mind. One is I like to always be knowledge-based. So I want to make my decisions and recommendations and give feedback to people as much as I can based on knowledge And uh, I think that, you know, this sounds very obvious, but uh, in the marketing world, there's a lot of uh, opinion and I think this, I think that, or, you know, I like this better because it's subjectively what I like, but I I try to be very much based on either data or benchmarking what other companies are doing or other types of knowledge that maybe I can read or pick up in, uh, 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 you know, books or magazines. So, yeah, so I really try to be a knowledge-based person and try to, you know, be that type of leader and and model that type of uh, behavior. Integrity is very important to me. I, I like to believe that if you go and talk to people who worked for me and worked with me, they would say that I'm very trustworthy and honest and don't you know don't, don't play games, don't play politics. So I really try to uh, lead with integrity and to model that type of behavior also. And uh, I try to be very empowering as a leader. So it's very important for me that the people who work for me feel empowered. Like the idea of going and taking credit for something that someone else did, is like it's so uh, loath to me to think about doing that. In fact, I'll do the opposite. If I work on something and maybe I do give a lot of the input and a, and a team member gives a little bit in a meeting, I'll say, oh, this person's idea. Like I, I will go out of my way to give that person credit because it builds them up and gives them confidence and then makes them that much more likely to contribute more ideas in the future. So I, I try to uh, focus a lot on development. Uh, and, I, and, and understand what any given team member, or not only team members reporting to me, but a team member of the company who wants to talk to me, what their goals are, what their career aspirations are, and try to give them assignments and opportunities to learn in those areas and to grow. And uh, you know, at Universal, a few times, there are people who want to do something slightly different around my team, and they had the opportunity to leave, to go to another team. I said, great, let me, let me help you get there because uh, that's what you want to do and that's what you think you want to take your career. I want to do, I want to help you. I'll feel good. And, you know, when I look back, uh, kind of not exactly the question you asked, but, but it makes me think about this. When I look back, there's nothing that makes me prouder as a leader mm. to know that I've had very loyal teams. A very few people have voluntarily left my team. Some have left, like I said, for promotions, but like to leave the company. Very few. And at, you know, at Universal, the young, young employees and the entertainment industry, there yeah. certainly was a lot of turnover at the company. But in my teams, there was very little. Sky Zone also had very little, Had very loyal, high-performing teams. And uh, it makes me really proud to think about the way I developed some of those team members who came in relatively green. And really blossomed and flourished and uh, really became great marketing managers. And one person became the, the lead when I left SkyZone and, uh, you know, I was so happy to see him go from someone who's relatively, um, let's say, green, a little immature when, we, when he came in to, be, to being yeah. the person who was picked to be the leader of the team. And, uh, you know, that really meant a lot to me. And something else I'm really proud of, again, not the ass, but through my mind that when I went to the title boxing club and box union, a few people on that team raised their hands and said, you know, you know, I'd love to go with you. And uh, someone else who worked for me, a different company in the past, contacted me and, uh, and then she works for me. So I'm able to bring some people over who, uh, you know, who I know are good employees and good, good team members and, uh, you know, also high integrity people, hard workers. So it's great to be able to go back to that pool of resources and, and bring them over as known entities. So uh, yeah, it makes me really happy and proud to know that my leadership style has led to the situation where people want to work for me again. So uh, I think that's part of like who I am as a yeah. leader uh, somehow.
1: Yeah. And I love that you used it sort of like knowledge based integrity and then this empowering piece that really, you know, Enables people to grow, but also kind of c- come back to you when you when you need it. Now, tell me, Josh, have you always sort of stood for those things, or is that something that you've had to like hone over time, or you've had to like grow into as you grew your career?
0: Well, the integrity part, I like to think no. I mean, I, I, I was raised with really good values, and my parents raised me very polite. People often say to me, like, you're the most polite person I've ever met. And I think oh, my parents, you know, hit me if I didn't say thank you. No, uh, but they're very they're very strict with, with with that type of thing, manners. And- And uh, acting in a a dignified way. And so uh, I I thank them for that. They they taught me good values and I carried it forward. So the integrity part I like to think has been with me. I just try to model it the best that I can. I'd say the part that really was the hardest thing to grow (laughs) into is the empowerment part. Because I was a true solo operator at at that job at Universal. The job in New York, my last financial services job. I was writing a newsletter. I was posting the website. I, I was answering RFPs. I was basically writing and doing stuff on my own. Yeah. Then I went to Universal and on that digital team, I was part of a team, but then after 9-11, uh, the team was disbanded and only like three of us kept our jobs. So that's, and one went to Orlando and, and two went to Orlando and one stayed in Hollywood and that was me. I, I got to hire a coordinator. So I was I was all by myself with a very inexperienced coordinator, wonderful person, but wasn't able to contribute that much in, ter- in terms of the workload. And I was like, like I said, I was writing a copy for the website. I was, I, I, the first Google ad campaigns, I started and I was managing the Google ad campaigns myself it was crazy. I was doing everything. Like I said, it's a, it's a, a credit card didn't process. The customer service would call me and I was like, I don't know what to do, but I had to figure it out. The reason i tell you all that again is that as I started to grow the team and hire a social media marketer rather than me posting on social, hire someone to oversee those AdWords campaigns rather than me doing it, I grew that team to be you know, 10, 15 people. I had to learn to let go. And you hear it again and again, and I think some of your guests, and I've heard some of your episodes and your guests have mentioned this, and, and I'm another example of someone who did not easily let go of the wheel. You know, when you're driving the car and you're <laughs> used to steering, <laughs> it's hard to take your hands off the wheel, but you have to. And I say, like, that's one of the biggest changes that, for me, like, to go from a hands-on, in-the-weeds, solo operator, somebody who needs to lead and in uh, inspire people. You know, you have to act very differently, and you have to trust people And you have to get out of their way. You have to hire really smart people, and you have to get out of their way. You have to be there for them when they need you, but you also, uh, you, you know, no good smart person wants to be micromanaged. None.
1: Yeah. And talk to me a little bit about that transition, Josh, from gr- growing a team, becoming a CMO, right? What were some of the things that you did to, like, let go of the wheel and actually trust other people and not get in people's way? I
0: wish I could tell you there's one or two things, because then your audience could say, oh, I could do those as well. And I don't think there really was. <laughs> I think, you know, there's no was no magic formula. But if there's anything that was, pu- that was like almost a magic formula is that I hired really good people I'm very cautious on, about mm-hmm. who I hire um, I try to hire the smartest people I possibly can And I'd much rather hire a really smart person Who's got the right attitude uh, You know, good, uh, good work ethic And a problem solver Who doesn't have any knowledge about the, the industry Or maybe even did something that's tangential but not exact Than hire someone who's got the right skills because a lot of times people are hiring for skills or they, you know, they want to hire someone who's been in the industry. And like I just think those are really short-sighted things to hire for because yeah. the, the, that stuff gets learned. And especially if you hire intelligent people, it gets, it's learned quickly. So I hire um, – I've been lucky in hiring some really talented people. And seeing them perform and seeing that, I, okay, I can a little take my hands off the wheel and they could they could do stuff, I became more and more trusting. And also, you know as you grow – higher and higher in your, I guess, in the organization, you have more responsibility. And at some point, you're just going to break if you, if you don't delegate. And so there's certain things that I just had to delegate. And when the, those smart people I hired were doing a good job, I said, great. And then I saw pretty quickly that they work better when they own stuff. And they had a, when you have a sense of ownership, and I said, you know, that makes sense to me. That's the way I am. So I realized pretty quickly, you've you got to get out of their way. You've got to, you, like I said, you got to be there for them when they need you, but you don't want to be there when they, they don't need you. And you also have to let them trip and fall. And um, you have to acknowledge that they're not necessarily going to do things the way you did it, and maybe not in the right the same order. <laughs> but they're uh, but th- that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So
1: I wanted to talk to you because you're a CMO, right? And you've got all this digital expertise. When you think about being a great marketer, what are some of the things that you use to market the different products and experiences that that you market that you think anyone could use? to market themselves in their own career?
0: I was somebody who thought, um, again, based on probably the way I was raised, like if you keep your nose down and work hard and do a great job and deliver results, things are going to work out and and, and, and everything will be okay. And to some extent, I do believe that's true because you will earn promotions, but to some extent, it's not true. At some point in my career, I realized there are people who are just better at networking than me or who were uh, uh, more boastful than I was and more... um, I was going to say self-grandizing, but that sounds a little critical, more prone to singing their own praises or pointing out the stuff they did. And, and I really didn't do that when I was, you know, especially when I go back to like when I was a manager at Universal, I didn't. And and that was okay to get me dr- uh, promoted to director. But I think I realized at some point, if I want to be yeah. a VP, I've got to have a little bit of a bigger presence. I think that the, the fact is that we have to be our own PR agents uh, in our career. And um, I... I didn't do a lot of that <laughs> when I was younger. Like I said, yeah. at some point in time, I said, I just got to start. I got to get out there. I got to talk to more people. I got to make sure they know what I'm doing. I've got to not just do a good job. But I got to like, you know, make sure other people are aware of that and appreciate that. And uh, so I think that the the, the the PR point is the biggest part because, you know, um, I'm sure there are people who take ads out for themselves and do some paid advertising, but <laughs> 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 that, I've never tried that. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's talk
1: josh about your digital presence like what recommendations would you have for people because of course we reconnected on linkedin and even though we haven't seen each other in you know a long time i'm i'm constantly seeing like really interesting smart things that you're posting there so what recommendations do you have for people about managing their own digital presence from a professional standpoint
0: yeah, great question. I, I'm a big believer in LinkedIn. And it suits my personality in that, you know, I like to write. So um, I think if you go back and look at some of the posts that I've, I've written, they're longer than probably a lot of other posts. By trying, uh, you know, build that brand that I was mentioning for knowledge. And it's one thing to have knowledge is another thing to have knowledge and share it. So part of... Who I want to be as leaders, I want to be someone who not only accumulates knowledge but shares it whenever appropriate. And that can be in a, a one-on-one conversation with a team member. That could be in a, a team meeting when you pause and explain, okay, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I saw that XYZ other company is doing this and we can glean something from it. You know, to pause and do a little knowledge sharing. And I think LinkedIn is a great place to, to do that. So I decided about... I don't know, a year, two years ago, especially during COVID when I was at, you know working from home, I did a little bit, bit more of it, is I'm going to write a couple articles on LinkedIn. I'm going to write some posts that share some observations. And, uh, you know, I definitely was nervous when I hit submit in the first one or two, like I think most people are, cause like, what if no one likes it? But I realize, <laughs> well, it's okay. But I, I've, I've tried to be... As uh, somebody who is, shares information on there and uh, not not just uh, self-promoting. But I think at the same time, you do have to self-promote a bit and you do have to say, hey, I had this win and here it is. And the, the good thing about LinkedIn is that it's – you know it's, overall, it's a positive environment, right? So people are there to support you and I'll see, yeah. I'll see a post where someone says like, my life's dream was to work at X company and I finally got it. After 20 applications, they get like 10,000 likes because people, you know, want to be supportive. So I think that by and large, if you put information out or uh, people will support it. So it is a good opportunity also to, to do some of that own, you know, personal PR. And it's a great place to network. Obviously, you no. Know, I've met so many people. I was a terrible networker for most of my career, and now I've. It's actually one of my direct reports, my current job at Box Union Titles, said me. My oh, God, you know everybody because I was like reaching out to people, getting information. I said, it's funny you should say that because you know she was actually saying what a great networker I seem, networker I seem to be, and she said I want to learn how to do that. And I said I was not up until you know a few years ago where I made a conscious effort, and I've done a lot of that through LinkedIn. I've just reached out to some people and I've started conversations and vice versa. And I try to respond to as many people as possible. It's hard, but I try.
1: Yeah. And, and what? Give, give us a hack. Give us a hack because people tell me all the time, like, well, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't want to reach out to people or I don't want to feel like I'm a stalker. How do you kind of reach out to people in a way that feels natural and of service, knowledge-based in the way that you're describing?
0: Last week, I took part in a CMO breakfast. And it was a roundtable discussion. It was moderated and I was invited to join it, and I took an hour out of my day, and I did it, and it was a really good conversation, and I noted like three or four people who said things in there who were fellow CMOs that were interesting to me, and I reached out to them and said, hey, you said this. I was in this thing meeting with you this morning. I don't know if you remember. Uh, great conversation, and you said X, and it resonated with me, and I want to thank you for your comment, and uh a thought-provoking comment. Everyone responds to that because it's, 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 yeah. I'm not selling something, and I'd love to connect with you. And you know, and like, you know, I have no ulterior motive, and uh, something like like that. This will give you specific. That's that's a, a particular case goes in that that session together but there's things like that where i'll see if people have said something or if i've heard it um sometimes i hear someone on a podcast and i'll reach out and i gotta say sometimes i've reached out to other cmos at some big companies and they've not they, they haven't responded but i don't take it personally because i myself can't respond to all because i'm inundated, an yeah. and i'm not a, a cmo at a small company so i mean i can only imagine a big company but a lot of times they have and a couple times i've said hey do you want to we have xyz in common and uh get a conversation going and i've said hey if you ever want to a webcam or a Zoom or something like that, and uh, love to connect. And I've actually had a, quite a few Zoom one-on-one conversations with either uh, you know high-level marketing people at a variety of companies. And that person had no ulterior motive, and I know no ulterior motive. But it's good for creating a connection. So I know you know. I guess it, I guess it's to find a natural way to connect, and to comment on something specific if possible. No one wants to be sold to. No one, you know, the worst thing is when you see something you're like, oh god, this person wants to sell me something. And even the. You know, hey, I see there are <laughs> people in common. And like, yeah, you know, exactly. You to tell me something? Uh, there's, yeah. It's nothing personal. The one thing about LinkedIn that, uh, you know, I have a love hate relationship in some ways. I know I said all the positives, but like, you know, a lot of times it drives me nuts that some of the most inane posts will get, you know, like 10,000, 20,000 uh, likes. Or like, someone will, someone will hit my inbox and I'll see like five, six other people use the exact same image and post it as if it's their own and they get like 10,000 likes. And it's like infuriating because I'll have spent like, you like know, 30 <laughs> minutes writing something very thoughtful. And it gets like 60 likes. And then I think, okay, I'm not doing this for the grand numbers. I'm doing this to you know, share knowledge and for those people who appreciate this. If I wrote, great. And I'd rather have one really quality connection than you know, 10,000 people who like something to move on and forget. So yeah. I try to aim for, aim for quality.
1: Absolutely. It's all about the right strategy. A quick uh, set of final questions for you, Josh. What is your favorite brand since we're talking all about brands? What what brand are you obsessed with?
0: One that I'm really interested in is I find fascinating is uh, Tesla because they don't advertise. And like to think about like the brand that was built, the strength of that brand on the personality of Elon Musk and his statements and the fact that they're, you know, outrageous statements a lot of the times and outrageous actions. Uh, to me, it is really fascinating to think about like, how that brand became as prestigious as it did without any, you know, really any, to my knowledge, traditional advertising or marketing.
1: If you were a type of car, Josh, what type of car would you be?
0: I think I will go with a Tesla. I own a Model 3. I love it. I, I, I love it. Like my whole life, I, I had very utilitarian cars. And uh, I think it's part of like growing up in, uh, in New England, like uh, you know, a lot of people there think a car is a, you know, a, a device to get you from A to B. And, uh, you know, if it's dense, it just shows <laughs> you've lived an interesting life and you went camping. But, you know, I moved to L.A. and, uh, and, and at first I resisted the, the car culture. But the first car that really captivated my imagination and made me want to splurge was a Tesla. And it was the leapfrogging of technology. Because there were there, you didn't have incremental change in terms of like you know sl- you know you know this got a little better that got a little better it was a okay I'm gonna get, I'm going remove the dashboard yeah. as you currently know it and I'm going to put a, a screen in there and things of that nature
1: and finally, Josh, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners?
0: I would say especially for listeners who might be earlier in their career, let me start there I like to advise people who ask that question to get as much knowledge about as many areas of, of business as possible. And one thing that I did that served me very well at, at, when I came up to the ranks, go back to our, our, our uh, shared former employer of Universal because it was very foundational to my career, is I would have lunch sometimes with the VP of finance and I'd ask them questions about like, you know, what do you do? And I, I would be a sponge. And sometimes I would like, talk to someone in operations and I'd ask questions, I'd be a sponge. And, you know, most people tend to like to talk about themselves. And if you say like, what are some challenges you guys overcame recently or what are some things you're proud of you guys have done? Like very few people won't answer that question and usually will answer it at length because it's, you, know, you get to talk about something that makes you happy and proud. And I would ask those questions and I would just absorb it really served me well because while I wasn't necessarily responsible for operations, I learned quite a bit about it through those conversations and, and finance. And um, as you become a senior executive, you're asked about – you asked questions. <laughs> you're supposed to know things that you're not necessarily going to know if you're running you know growth advertising campaigns. You're not going to get that exposure or if you're doing publicity or if you're – uh, doing partner promotions. You might get really good at that, that area and certain skills that go along with those areas but like, you know, the, you know now, something as a senior executive you're making a strategic decision about the company especially if you work in a smaller company uh, or um, even a mid-sized company as a senior executive you might get pulled into all types of stuff, HR stuff and, uh, you know, things having to do with how you capitalize the company. So you need to have to be to be productive and to be helpful in those conversations. You need to be able to draw on a lot of information. I'm ending where I started, which is to be knowledge-based, but you know, learn as much as you can about as many areas of business as you can, and it will serve you well as you progress uh, into higher ranking positions and positions of authority.
1: Well, Josh, thank you so much for sharing your spectacular knowledge with us. It was great seeing you again.
0: It was great seeing you too. It's amazing uh, how much time has passed and yet, I feel like it was just like yesterday that we were talking. So it's, it's great uh, reconnecting with you.
1: Absolutely. Josh Cole, thank you so much. And we'll be back in a few moments with my final thoughts.
2: Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level?
1: Wow, I just loved reconnecting and talking to Josh Cole, the Chief Marketing and Digital Officer for the Boxing Club and Box Union. You know, he had so many great tidbits, and I loved going down memory lane to just think about how far we've come from a digital perspective. But you know what really stood out to me from Josh was this whole notion of you've got to be a little bit of a content creator on LinkedIn. And I loved how he said earlier in his career, he just he wasn't good good at networking, but today his staff thinks of him as a great networker, and he shared all of those crisp little tips, right? You've got to say smart things. You've got to publish. You've got to go ahead and reach out to people and thank them and be of service and share knowledge. It's not just a game of being a Kim Kardashian social influencer. It's not about the number of likes. It's about those quality of connections. Well, that's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, make sure that you're following us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you get your new show every single Tuesday. And, of course, follow me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all social platforms. And check out LinkedIn where I share tons of fun knowledge and tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And remember, in your career, do not be a boring old commodity like coffee make sure you are that super premium brand just like starbucks
2: you've been listening to lead with your brand the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host personal branding expert diversity advocate and keynote speaker jason patria